Let us pray. Father in heaven, it is written that every knee shall bow and everyone shall praise you. Father, we are gathered here today because we choose to praise you now in this moment. That we want to sing songs to you. That we want to pray to you. That we want to study your word and allow it to move us in a way that can only be explained by the holy and ever-living God. Making yourself known to us, Father. No matter the condition of our hearts coming in this evening. You not only know it. But you understand it. And you care for us. You love us as your children, Father. We have nothing to hide from you. Because you see it all. You are outside of time and space. You are powerful beyond our own imagination. Your thoughts, your word, put things into action and things are created because you say so. You are sovereign and provident. That means in the lowest points of our lives, you were there. You overseen it. And you carried us through. At the highest highs that we could ever have, you were there. And you allowed us to experience those things. You are the holy and ever-living God. And we need you here present now in this moment. That we would be moved. That we would be touched. That your word, as it is designed to be, would be a double-edged sword. That would cut us deep, Father. So we ask that everyone gathered here today. Everyone gathered here this night, that you would work on our hearts, that even now as we sang, as we prayed together, your spirit would be moving around us and through us. Be with your servants here, in the pulpit, in the microphone, the people around us, our fellowship, would it all be blessed by you, that we would all, tonight, Experience your grace in a way that can only be explained by a supernatural, all-present, and all-loving Father who reveals himself, who heals us, who teaches us, and now allows our hearts to worship you in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 Timothy 3, verses 9 through 10. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. The heart and the art of a deacon. Let me pray for us, and we're going to get into this. God, as you have been working with us in observation, I believe you've been getting our attention. I believe that there's been, if there's been minds that have been dormant or a little bit of snoozy right now, a little bit just fatigued from the day, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you'd wake us all up because the word of God is life or death. This stuff matters. 
So from the preacher to the pew, everyone here, we are all sheep. We are all children of God. We all need to hear from you. We want this stuff in our hearts. We don't just want it in our head, but we do need it in our head and in our hearts that it might flow out of our hands. Lord, we want to, at New Uwanu Baptist Church, cultivate an ohana of servants and servant leaders that will last. Servant leaders that got heart. And so it seems to be you've already been making sense of this to us. You've been connecting dots. And so help me to just hammer it home right now. Do this, we pray in your name. Amen. You guys heard that phrase, the guy's got heart? Or, or the opposite, like, oh, the guy's lost heart? You know, um, especially for, you know, those of you who are in your years of you're exploring new things, you know, whether it's a new job or a new career or maybe a new uh, thing you're studying. You ever try and start something and then it doesn't last so long uh, for various reasons, but the main thing is you just lost heart. You know what I'm talking about? You start something, and <laughs> that was a loud yes. Pray for Hannah. Um, no, no, no. But uh, I, when I was on vacation, I, I was at a park praying, having my devotional time. And I'm, one of, I'm a jock. I'm an athlete. Um, I embrace that. I hope I, I still am. But I like seeing people in their element. And what I mean by that is like when someone's doing something and they're doing really well, this one kid at the park, he just kind of caught my eye because he was shooting hoops. But it was the way in which he was shooting hoops. He was doing a dribbling exercise, and then he would stop and take the shot. And he did that like the same, he did that for like 10 minutes, and then he would switch the dribble shot, stop. And then I'm having my devotions, and it like a 45 minutes fly by, and I look over, and the kid's still over there sweating, and then he's doing free throws. Um, and what struck me about the kid was not that, I mean, the dude seemed like he had skills. What struck me about him was after an hour, after an hour 15, there was nobody around. He wasn't with a friend. He wasn't with a coach. He was, he was, self -tra he was training himself. It was training. And, I, and, and something that struck me, and, and this is just my mind going, the, the first thing that I thought was like, oh, I wonder how long, I wonder how far this kid will go, you know? And then the next thought was like, oh, maybe I should go talk to him and maybe shoot, shoot, you know, hey, like shoot a little bit. And I was like, nah, he's going to be freaked out. Who's this uncle over here? Just come, I, I'm here by myself. And then the next thought popped into my mind was like, I wonder what's making this kid tick. Like, all there's, there's all these other kids at the park just kind of playing and doing whatever they're doing, summer vacation. But there's this guy for an hour and a half put, doing, putting himself through drills by himself. And I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I see someone give a lot of drive to something, like they're really into it, they're invested, they're devoted, and then they're doing well in it, a thought that always I'm learning to ask myself is like, I wonder what's driving this guy. Like, I don't know, I didn't talk to the kid, but there could be a ton of reasons of what's causing him to have so much heart into this art. And then the next thought is, like, I wonder how far that, because I remember when I was a young boy and I wanted to be in the NBA and how far that dream really lasted. And I will, I'll spare you the details of how that heart left, but it did. Um, but, you know, anything that you at a person does or gives themselves to or devotes themselves to, a good question to ask is, what's the heart behind 
that art? That's a good question to ask for our leaders in the church. What's the heart behind that art? Like, like that's a good question for me to ask you tonight. Like, another way to phrase the question is, why do you do what you do? Like, what's the heartbeat that makes you keep stepping, especially when it gets hard? Because the kids started to sweat. It was noonday, and I was in the shade. And he could have called it quits, but he kept going. What makes him press through pain? You see, when I asked Pastor Corey to come and preach through Acts chapter 6, that was deliberate. Because I wanted to put fresh images in your mind of these seven who stepped up to the plate and served in a season that was very tense and tough. There was a lot of potential division, a lot of uncomfortable conversation There was a lot on the line. And what caused these seven to step up, step in, and see it all the way through? What caused Stephen to serve the Lord and speak for the Lord? And even when he got persecuted, the brother kept on. And if Pastor Corey kept preaching to Acts chapter 7, you know what that led to? His death. To getting stoned. And local boy, not that kind stoned. Like stoned to death. What caused these men to tick? What made these servants serve through the most stressful storms? Because I'm wondering tonight is what's the heart behind your art? What's keeping you stepping? What's keeping you going? And it so happens in our text, in this context, for the deacon, that question is so critical. For the elder, likewise, the deacon. Because we want to have deacons that know there's going to be storms. It's going to get tough. It's going to get hard. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to stop doing your art, serving the way God's called you to. But what's going to keep you going? And I believe the text we have in here from Paul, he's getting right to the heart of a servant. So in verse 9, he addresses the heart convictions, the inner things. And then verse 10 is leading to the art. And it's interesting, and I said this already, that Paul does not talk about the specificities of how a deacon is to serve. You notice that? It's all heart. The the verse before this is all Christ-like character. And now we're going to press and push more into this. And I want to devotionally give this thought to you tonight because I believe the text is going to bring us there. If you're here tonight and you are having a hard time carrying on, you're having a, you are at the brink of quitting or thrown in the towel or not holding to the faith, I pray tonight's word blesses you. And I pray that by the grace of God, You don't quit. And I pray that by the word of God, you will see that you have every reason to keep stepping. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ who has taken hold of us. So let's get into this. Let's move on in. The heart and the art of a deacon. Verse 9. These servants, these deacons, they, Cleo pointed that out, the plural, must, mandatory, necessity, hold. I'm a really slow reader, so bear with me. Let's chew on this a little bit. Hold. Why does Paul use this verbiage? Why does he use this language? Echo is the Greek. 
It's to have, to possess. It's a word that gives a picture of grasping with the hand. It's the same word used in Matthew 14 when he says, what you guys got? We got five loaves of bread and two fish. That's all we got. That's what we have. That's what we're holding in our hands. This is all we got. This is our possession. This is what belongs to us. They, the deacon, must possess, must have it, have, have it. Just what's your definition of holding right now? Because I don't want, I, don't, I hope we don't think it merely means, like what Hannah was alluding to, to merely be educated about the faith. Is that what you mean, to hold? Like, so we're going to assess a, 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 a deacon to be? They just know all the Bible and all, all the right Sunday school questions? Because here's a question. Who in here knows, cerebrally, in your brain, it's wrong to steal, cheat, or lie? Who knows that's wrong? You say you, okay, now keep your hand up if you've ever done any of those things. So would you say you hold to it? You see? You can heartily agree with something mentally. But the question is, is that what this is talking about when Paul says he must hold? You see, our definition of hold, it can't just merely be education. I don't think it can even merely be enthusiasm. Like these can't just be people who are excited about the mysteries of the faith. Jesus, whoa, yeah, I love him, I love this, let's serve, you know. Like it can't just merely be education and enthusiasm because you and I both know how fickle and fleeting our hearts can be, right? Because you as a servant will be all stoked this week and then what happens next week? Or maybe what happens the next hour? Oh, I don't like go to church. It's just hot. I don't feel like, right? We've all been there, right? We smile because we've been there. So this, I'm trying to put bigger definition to what we see as, what does it mean to hold? Because it can't just merely be educated or enthusiastic. It's got to be deeper than that. Why does Paul use this language? And I think it's because he understands when it comes to the Christian faith, there are times you and I will be tempted not to hold on, but rather what? Let go. Are there times in your faith that you feel like you're hanging on by a thread? You ever feel that? You ever been there? You ever been to a place where you're just at the brink of just throwing in the towel on all this Jesus stuff? Is he worth it? Is this worth it? You say in your soul, I don't know anymore. See, that's why a word like this is so big. you got to hold. Are you holding on tonight? I was, here's this for a question. What are you holding on to? And whatever it is you're holding on to, whatever it is your soul is clinging to right now, is it going to hold you up? Will it be worth it? I hear that, yes. Now I'm wondering what you hold in. But, right? Because maybe some of us tonight, if we're honest, we assess ourselves, what we're hanging on to is a worldly dream or pride or status or relationships or whatever it is we're holding on to, it ain't what Paul's going to say in the next phrase. So just assess yourself right now, and myself included, what are we holding on to tonight? What do we possess? What are we seizing to grasp? That's what this word means 
Because what if, and I'm, I'm hurting for people tonight, because what if in circumstances and in your struggles of faith, you are falling tonight, you're falling, and you're, you're grasping for something? What happens if you're falling and you grab onto something that's not stable? You fall. Well, what happens if you're falling and you grab onto something that's firm, immovable, solid? You're held. So he says, these servants, these lead servants must hold, this is what they got to hold on to, the mystery of the faith. And this is an action-packed phrase. It's no simple thing right here. I mean, mystery, mysterion, that's already just, ooh, right? The mystery of the faith, the hidden things, that's what it means. It's a secret thing. It's a, it's a secret thing that's now found. It's a hidden treasure that's now revealed. Paul, like I said in observation time, he loves this language. He says it a lot. The word mystery and revealed, it's, it's all over his letters. But the mystery of the faith, pistis, what we trust, what we at the end, like we can stand on it, we can sit on it. What are the mysterious things that he's saying you got to hold on to? Let me give you some verses. 1 Timothy 3.16, he says, Great indeed, we confess the mystery of godliness, which was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the Word. This is going to be coming in a few weeks. But he's saying the mystery, you see that word again? Of the manifestation of the flesh. What is that? That's the mystery of the Incarnation. What is that? That Jesus is fully man and fully God. Now, why would a deacon or why would a believer want to hold on to that when you're going through hardship? Well, brother, sister, when you're hurting and going through something hard and you need rescuing, you need to know that you have a God who is fully man and fully God. Therefore, he's the only one able to reconcile man and reconcile man to God. So you see, this is a big mystery that we need to hold on to. There's only one who can truly save. There's only one that can bridge the gap. That's what the incarnation, the mystery of the incarnation does to your soul. Do you hold on to that? That holds, that anchors the soul. Let's keep it going because there's a lot more. First uh, Colossians 1, 26 and 27, he says, this is a mystery hidden for ages and generations. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, hear it, the riches of the glory of this mystery. Wait for it. This is the mystery. Christ is in you. The hope of glory. There's the mystery of the incarnation. Then there's the mystery of the indwelling of the spirit of Christ. I don't know if that ever jars you. Christ lives in you. I'm a Christian. Christ lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Galatians 2.20. That's a mystery. And if you don't know it, if you don't know that mystery of faith, then you ain't going to hold on to it. You know what you're going to keep doing when you're tired and exhausted and spent because you've been working and trying to do life in all of your strength and ability and your performance and your effort. You know what you need to hold on to? It's not you. Christ lives in you, bro. And that'll anchor and lift up your soul. 
that's a mystery we got to cling to in a crisis. Christ is in you? Do you believe that? Did you forget that today? When you were at your last thread, ready to call it quits, did you forget, child of God? Christ is in you. Jerish brought this one up, Ephesians chapter 3. He says, okay, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of other generations, but it's revealed now through his holy apostles and the Spirit. Verse uh, 6, this mystery, I love this mystery, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we saw the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the indwelling of Christ, and now the mystery of the integration of Jew and Gentile, a.k.a. all are made one in Christ. That's a mystery. You know what's a mystery? Our church photo. The church family photo. You take a picture, and it's a mystery because you look at that and you look closer. How is this happening? How is Brada here? Who would brought her there? And how does sister over there know this person? How do they even love each other? It's a mystery. We're all made one in Christ. That's a mystery a deacon needed to hold on to. You know why? Because sometimes in the church, there's walls of hostility that go up. Oh, you this, I'm that. Oh, you, you, you loco or you, you howly. You, you, you Republican or Democratic. You this or you that. Like, there's these things, and we got to remember, no, hold to the mystery of the faith. We're all the same in Christ. All that pride just boom. There's no higher status here. You see how whole, I'm just giving you some mysteries. I'm going to give you a couple more because it's so good. Colossians 4, 3, he says this, at the same time, pray for us that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. What is that? Romans 16, according to the gospel and the preaching of Christ by the revelation of the mystery. What is that? It's the mystery of the gospel of grace. That's a mystery. Don't think, children, that the gospel is just, okay, beginner stuff, that's cool. No, think about it. Christ came to save sinners. We're saved by grace through faith. That's a mystery. He's faithful even when I'm faithless. Why? Why? I kept yelling that on my desk this week. Why me? Why are you so good to me? I don't get it. I'm a sinner, and I'm a wretch, and I'm so in need of help. Why would you be good to me? Why would you send your son for me? It's a mystery. It's the mystery of grace. It's the mystery of the gospel of grace. And that's a mystery that the deacon, that all believers, guys, we've got to hold on to this stuff. Because everything in the world and the enemy is going to want to make you let go. Forget the mysteries of the faith. Don't hold on to them. You tired tonight? You feel like quitting? Then you better hold on to the mysteries of Christ. Here's the point. A deacon's heart holy holds. And I say holy because it's an entirety of him. 
It's his heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's her heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's all of us. They hold to the hidden treasures of Christ. That's another way of me saying the mysteries of the faith. There's hidden treasures. You see, there's so many glorious mysteries revealed in the word that God desired all of us to have and to hold. I'm going to give you one more mystery because this one's my favorite. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Now, here's a little Greek study. The literal transition for make it my own in the Greek is that I may lay hold of it. I press on to hold on. And then this is his reason why he can hold. Because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Same Greek phrase. Because Christ Jesus has made, laid hold of me. You know what gives me the strength to hold on to the mysteries of the faith? Is that Christ has laid hold of, miss, of me. It's the mystery of persevering grace. You hanging on tonight by a thread, but you're hanging. You know why you're hanging? Because he's hanging on to you. It's a mystery. And Paul says with all confidence, I can keep pressing, man. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep serving. What do you think held Stephen when stones were getting thrown at him and he had a face like an angel? He was holding on and Christ was holding on to him. What caused the seven to put up with all that church drama and feed all those thousands of people? What kept them sane? What kept them holding? Is that Christ was holding them, these hidden treasures, guys. Do you know them? You see, I just gave you a, a, a handful of the mysteries, of the hidden treasures of Christ. And yet God gives us a whole Bible. There's more. There's more to Christ that I don't know. And I want it. I need it. And I want to cling to it. And knowing that Christ is clinging to me, knowing that Christ is clinging to you, is all that we need to keep stepping. So if you are on the verge of quitting tonight, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit in your soul, in your seat right now, you're like, nuh-uh. I'm hanging on to something real tonight. I'm holding on to the mysteries of the faith, the hidden treasures of Christ that are no longer a mystery. I know my Redeemer lives. I know He's taken hold of me. I know that I've sinned and I've done what I've done, but He's forgiven me at the cross. And I'm a child of God. That's what it means to hold on. Are you holding? Or do we merely have it in our heads? What if Stephen only had it in his head? You know all he spit out in Acts 7? What if that was just head knowledge? I don't think he would have taken the stones. I don't think he would have prayed for them. What if the seven only had this in their head. I don't think they would have lasted that church drama. They would have slipped out. They would have called it quits. They would have, I can't come to church today. Sorry, boys, but you guys take care. They would have flaked out. So how are we doing? And how do we wholly hold on to the mysteries, the hidden treasures of Christ? 
Let me give you two things, and we're going to move on to the last verse, and we're done. 2 Corinthians 2 makes it clear on this. The hidden treasures of Christ's spiritual things are only made known by the power of the Holy Spirit. So simple. you got to pray. This is what I'm always encouraging us. Pray, 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 pray. It's a supernatural thing to hold, to have and to hold the mysteries of Christ. You can't just get this book by hard man study. You might get smarter, but you're not going to really get it. You're not going to hold it the way Paul is talking about it. So you got to ask the Holy Spirit, open my eyes, Psalm 119. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. Ephesians 118, open the eyes of my heart. You got to pray to actually see the mystery. I just talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Did that jar anyone's heart more? Are you freaking out tonight to think Christ is in you? Are you going to go home, get in your car, and just can't go to sleep about that? Wait, wait, Christ is in me? Wait, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in me? Like, these are the mysteries that we got to, like, ask the Spirit of God and make it known. And then after that, pray and make every effort to add his word into your head, into your heart, and then through your hands. That's 2 Peter 1. Where he says, he's granted us his precious and very great promises. I would say, a.k.a. the mysteries of the faith, the hidden treasures of Christ. So that through them, through these mysteries, through these promises, you and I can become partakers. You know what that means? You can tap into this stuff. You can taste it. What? Divine nature. I love it. My son is always saying when we, do, when we talk about Jesus stuff, he's like, he's... You know, we made these blessing bags and we're, we go and pass them out to people who have less than us. And when we get in the truck and we have our bags, he's like, we're going to go use our superpowers, yeah? I'm like, yeah. But that's Christianity if you don't realize that. You see, these hidden mysteries, they're not meant to be hidden. They're meant to be tapped into. You're supposed to be partakers of divine nature. And, and then through this, we escape the corruption that's in the world. In other words, you get past the place of where you want to quit and let go and cling to the world again. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. So you see the first part, it's supplementing, so it's getting it in your head. Knowledge, faith and knowledge. And then it's getting it out through your hands. Self-control, steadfastness with godliness, godliness, brotherly affection. That's the way we treat others an affection with love. It's our practice. For if, you, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. In other words, it'll keep you from letting go. You're going to hold. You're going to hang in there. And you're going to succeed. I'm out to put a fire in you tonight. I want your hearts to hold to this stuff. I want your hearts to want more treasure, more mysteries of the faith. And I, I want you to not settle for just understanding it in categories in your brain and being able to articulate the mysteries of the faith. No, I want you to be able to apply the mysteries of the faith. You can talk all you want about the sovereignty of God and still live life like he's not in control. And be the most stressed out person I know. But you can talk about Calvin and Spurgeon and the doctrines of grace all you want. 
but are you holding to the mysteries of the faith or you just like to talk about it? And I'm speaking to me. We can, we can talk all we want about these. No, I want us to be a church who holds it, to have and to hold. So the heart of a deacon, the servant's heart, it must be wholly holding to the treasures of Christ, to the mysteries. And then now off of this platform, let's finish out in verse 10. And so if they're holding, if they got Christ in their head and their heart in their hands, if they're holding on, when things get tough, they're holding on to these mysteries and let them also be tested first. See if they're really holding. Then let them serve as deacons in that office if they prove themselves to be blameless. So here's the point, and then I'll break it down and we'll, we'll, we'll pause. One must demonstrate consistent servitude before they can serve as a deacon. One must demonstrate consistent, okay? All these words are, imp- are on purpose. Servitude before they can serve as a deacon. So let's just break this down really slowly. Tested. They first got to be tested. Dokimatsu. It's a word of an examination, like what Olivia was bringing up. We got to prove. You got to test if it's genuine or if it's legit. Right? That's sensible. Right? Who goes and purchases a car without what? Test driving it. Thank you. I'm glad you guys said that. Because if you didn't, whew, have mercy. Right? But on all the things that, we are, that are really important that we're going to use, right? You, you, you test it to see if it's actually legit. It's why you have your go-to brand for slippers. Because they always work. They never seem to break. And, and it's tested. So it is, though, with church leadership. But what is being tested? Well, bring all the verses together. Are they the kind of people that in the pressure and the testings of life, they hold to the mysteries of the faith? Or do they break? Are they just one-hit wonders? Are they the type of people that they obey and follow through one time, and then the rest of them, you wonder where they went? We don't want... Leaders, servant leaders who are flaky and shaky. They're going to hold. But again, church, this is a word for all of us. None of us want to be followers of Christ who are flaky and shaky. I guarantee this, all of us in the house, you're being tested in some way, shape, or form. Your faith is being tested. Your life has circumstances. You have inner emotional circumstances you're going through tonight. It's all testings. But you have the mysteries of faith at your disposal. You have the word of God. Are you holding? You see, the deacon, it happens to be, they need to be people who are exemplary. They know this pressure. That's why the seven, when they chose him in Acts 6, what it says, choose from among you those of good, what? Repute. Full of the spirit and wisdom. Meaning, everyone knew like when it came time for church event, these was the brothers and sisters that was first to sign up for help out. You know what I mean? Like they, they demonstrate, like it wasn't a shock that Stephen did what Stephen did to those who knew Stephen. Of course Stephen would, Philip would have said. Look at him. Of course he's got the face of an angel while he's getting 
persecuted and stoned. That's Stephen. How did they come to those conclusions? They normally demonstrated a servitude. So the testing is, I think, an observation of just, it's a period of time. The test of time will show, without us just saying anything, just thinking your mind of those in the church house that you know, they see trash, they pick it up. They're they're the types of people that they're just, I need help with something. Oh, yeah, what you need? These, this is ways as a church family we could test and discern and examine. But we first just, I want us to kind of look more inward. Like, examine your heart first. Like, because this is supposed to be all of us. Consistent and continually showing ourselves to have a servant's heart. But for the deacon, this has got to be. Where did these seven, where did Stephen, them learn that? Where did they learn to have this servant heart? Where did they get, where'd they get that from? Who did they get that from? I'm asking. His name starts with a J. Ends with the Isas. Thank you. Yes, Philippians chapter 2, right? This is your mind in Christ. He, though the very nature of God, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, death on a cross. They have the spirit of Christ in them. Of course they're servant-hearted. They got it from Christ. Perhaps our lack in zeal to serve tonight or to demonstrate this servitude is our faithlessness or what we forgot. We for, our forgetfulness of, of, of that he first served us. What's your picture in your brain when you think of Jesus? What do you see? I don't see a perfect complexion and a glowing face with a nice white robe and a purple sash and a nice fluffy lamb on his shoulder. I don't see that. I see a sunburnt, muddy, dirty, towel on his waist, bloody Man, with love and light in his eyes, who's not afraid of dirt and sweat, who in John 13 washes feet, even though John the Baptist says, I don't even, I'm not worthy to untie your sandal. And Jesus says, well, just hang on there, buddy. I'm going to go wash feet. Where it says that he's around the crowds healing. It's not just supernatural healing. He's mending wounds. Jesus is a servant, man. He's a servant of servants. I won't be just like him, and I know I pale. I fall so short. So where did these deacons learn to serve like that? The man himself, our servant king, Jesus Christ. You see, when you stare into the mysteries of Christ, you see him for who he is and how he's lived. I'm, I guarantee this, you're going to have a hard time not serving the Lord. You're going to have to have someone hold you back. I'll do anything for this man. You know, I told this story at the pastor's deacon's retreat about three janitors who worked at NASA. And they were all doing the same thing. And then they were asked, you know, what are you doing? He said, I'm sweeping the floor. The second janitor, what are you doing? Well, I'm just upkeeping all these great facilities. And then the third janitor said, I'm, putting a man, I'm helping put a man on the moon. 
You see, they're all doing the same thing, but the difference was their perception of the greatness of the mission. I have another story. There's three church members at church, all doing the same thing. The first one was asked, what are you doing? Passing out bulletins. The second one was asked, what are you doing? I'm just helping set up for church. The third one was asked, I'm serving the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who made me and saved me and loved me. And I don't deserve to pass out a bulletin. You see the difference is the perception of not just the greatness of the mission, but the greatness of the one we serve. Are you kidding me? You're asking me to speak the Bible tonight? You're asking me to do security at VBS? Are you serious? I get to do that? For the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You see, a deacon is not so enamored by the task of what they're doing. Waiting tables, doing the parking lot, greeting in the, in the beginning or after a service, doing refreshments in the kitchen. You know what the deacon's enamored by? Who they're serving. Because John the Baptist would say, whoa, are you serious? You get to do meals? I don't even, I don't even deserve to untie Jesus' sandals. I'm not even fit for sandal ministry. Is that the heart of the deacon? That ought to be. Is that our heart tonight? Church, I love our church family, and we are an incredibly gifted ohana. And there are so many very grace and ways that we can serve together. And our deacons, whoever we bring into the office, they need to be the people that will lead off and exemplify this. So that whatever the task is that they're given, it's not so much the glory of the task, it's how they do it. It's the glorious way they do it. And they do it with faces of angels. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's our God. What picture you got of Jesus in your mind? See him. He ain't afraid of getting dirty. He's well acquainted with the trash. That's our king. See him. What do you see? He's not afraid to get involved in the mess and the muck of another person's life and bear that burden and cry with them through the night. That's our king. And that's who I want to be like. That's what we all ought to aspire. That's what the deacons are to be exemplifying. You know, just a brief word on this, and we're going to close when it comes to serving and, and consistently pouring yourself out. Um, you know, and when we have announcements and there's opportunities to serve, and then, you know, when Tanya or whoever's doing the announcements, even small things, please don't see them as small. They may be small, but it's for a big God. Tremble at that. But I want to encourage us in this, just in closing, it's good for our health to work, guys. It's good for us to serve. You ever notice in the creation story, he made Adam and Eve, and he made them this glorious paradise. He didn't make it for them to just chill. What did he tell them? Work it. Here's a little, have some responsibility, man. Do something. You know what made work and serving hard? The fall. Sin caused all of us to just think like, Ugh, when can I clock out? That's just part of the fall, but Christ is in us now. 
He's redeemed us. He's reversed the curse. So when people come into our community here at the church and they see everybody heartily wanting to do something and serve, they're just like, where am I? This is not real. Oh, in the kingdom of God, it's very real. But we got to hold. We need to hold. We'll pause here. And, and as we move on, I know we're talking about deacons and those in, in the office, and I want us to think about that. So there's two ways always that we can read and study through these series on church leadership is one, the attributes we're to exemplify. So we're to apply all these things. We need to learn how to hold to the mysteries of the faith. And um, we need to learn how to demonstrate consistent servitude as we look at Christ. But let's also use this text to learn how, like, please pray for the deacons. We got two in the house and pray for those to be. But this is ways that we can pray for our deacons and we can examine and raise up more. So I'll commend those two ways of application to us tonight. I'll bring it, I'm going to shut this down right now and we'll get ready to sing. And, and even as, you know, Trevor, as you make your way to the stage, I mean, even as you grab that guitar, it's like, are you, are you kidding me? We get to do this for the king. Everything we do tonight, I pray that you would begin to applying this now. Even as you hang with each other and talk to one another and ask each other for prayer, like let the Spirit of God move in us and let's serve each other tonight. All of us are hurting and we all need a helping hand. And when we're all serving, we're stronger together. That's what church is. It's a hub of a place where broken people come and we get help. And we get help from Christ through one another. That's what this is. So let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to continue to marinate these things in our heart. And we'll sing our way out. Let's go to the Lord. Oh God, it's so sweet to have and hold the mysteries of Christ. I'm sorry when we lose sight of that grace. So much of the hardship and the trials that all of us are going through tonight, I know what it's like, Lord, to just be so in a sea of stress and distress and feeling like I just want to let go and yet there it comes the mystery of the faith again and again bringing us back center reminding us again and again that you have us you're holding us that Christ lives in us that you're coming again oh father I pray tonight if hearts or weak and hurting that they would be made strong tonight I pray that as we, as we sing our way out the spirit of God would fill this place and fall fresh upon us and renew our spirits restore joy revive hearts again as we look to Christ let us not grow weary and let us not lose heart I thank you so much for this church and how so many here in this family have served me well and helped me in the faith and I pray that this can be mutual and reciprocal again and again and again let more of Christ's servitude happen in this place fill us up send us out send us to one another as we serve you King of Kings Lord of Lords and all God's children said,
Amen. Jesus, guide my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. So church, let us cling to the hidden mysteries of the faith. For we know who our Redeemer is. And he promises that if we cast our cares upon him, that he will sustain us. Let us be sober-minded, be watchful, for our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Resist him, firm in your faith, for you, though we suffer a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in his peace.